We are at Romans 12, which is awesome. We have spent the last 11 weeks kind of talking, of course, about uh, every week, one chapter at a time in, in the book of Romans. Romans, if you were to sum it up, is really kind of two parts. It's first, an explanation to the Jewish nation as to why things are happening the way they're happening, and kind of explaining that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the Holy Scriptures. Good morning. And so Paul has spent 11 chapters explaining this is, this is, this is why Jesus came to the earth. Jews are not the only ones who are going to participate in the salvation that God has promised to them. And in fact, what we learned last week was kind of a big deal, which was if you are a Gentile and you believe in Jesus, you have been grafted in to a, a cultivated olive tree, as he calls it, to participate in the covenant blessings that were promised to just God's chosen people. And God's chosen people or his elect are again who? The Jews, the Israelites. And this is radical thinking for the time. So Paul has spent 11 chapters kind of explaining this message uh, to the church in Rome. Now he's going to get really into the theology and kind of where do we go next? And this is perfect for this class because now we get to talk about now what? And that's Romans 12. And so I think we're going to just jump right in to Romans 12 and we're going to read that. And we're going to get the uh, magic microphone here going. We're going to do... Chapter 1 through 8. <clears throat> so who would like to start by reading Romans 12, 1 through 8? Do you want to just go ahead and do that, Laura? Thanks. So brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. Do not change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. Because God has given me a special gift, I have something to say to everyone among you. Do not think you are better than you are. You must decide what you really are by the amount of faith God has given you. Each one of us has a body with many parts, and these parts all have different uses. In the same way, we are many, but in Christ we are all one body. Each one is part of the body, and each part belongs to the other parts. We all have different gifts, each of which came because of the grace God gave us. The person who has the gift of prophecy should use that gift in agreement with, the, with faith. Anyone who has the gift of serving should serve. Anyone who has the gift of teaching should teach. Whoever has the gift of encouraging others should encourage. Whoever has the gift of giving to others should give freely. Anyone who has the gift of being a leader should try, to, try hard when he leads. Whoever has the gift of showing mercy to others should do so with joy. This is an awesome passage. Tell me what you guys get out of this, if you get anything out of it. I think it's awesome. I agree. Okay. Um, well, gold star then, obviously, for Steve. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's yeah. it. <laughs> I like how he starts out reminding us, you know, not to be conformed to the mm -hmm. things of this world. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, don't get caught up in being part of what isn't, you know, part of God's kingdom. Doesn't he doesn't say don't go into the world. Just don't let the world be transforming you. Ooh. Ooh, that's great. I'm gonna write this down. Don't let the world 
transform you. Okay? Kind of goes on to list out what that looks like. Okay. Don't do this, do this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What else? Okay, so we have a role to play. We, and when I say we, I of course mean Christians. We have a role to share gospel. <clears throat> now, this is the really important part. How do you share the gospel? That's Romans 12. Well, we love the sinner, but hate the sin. Sure, that, that's fine, and that's absolutely true. But I think I'm asking for, specifically for the first part of Romans here, what we've read here is... Paul is giving us a very, a very important message that we all need to hear. And, and I think, look, <clears throat> maybe if you've ever sat in a, in a sermon, you know, on Sunday morning and you've seen a preacher speaking, <clears throat> maybe it's Dan Hudson, maybe it's another preacher at another church, maybe it's an online, uh, you've seen an online study or you've watched a video. At some point, maybe you've watched that preacher and you've thought to yourself, could I ever do this? <laughs> could I ever get up in front of all these people and preach? How many people have ever thought they could do it? Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. So that's the point here. Just because you're not called to be a preacher doesn't mean you're not called to serve, right? <clears throat> How many people have felt they are called to help serve food on a Sunday morning? Okay, so we get a, we get a couple, right? That's all good. How many people feel? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I don't feel the Lord calling. That's good. That's good. How many people have felt called by someone to sing or to play music? Yeah. I would hope the worship leader uh, raises her hand here. That's good. Very good, Heather. You too. Yeah. You like that? That's good. You've served your, your, your duty well. You get your 50 bucks later. Uh, and, and that's good, right? How many people have felt called to go minister to the poor? How many people have call, been called to teach, right? I think Paul is making a really, really good point here. And it's to say, if you don't feel you've been called to do some things, but you feel you've been called to do others, there really is no such thing as an unimportant role in the church, assuming it's godly. I think that's what Paul's trying to get at here. And it's okay to say, I'm not a preacher, but maybe I'm called to sing. Or I'm not a preacher, but maybe I'm called to do audiovisual. <clears throat> or I don't, you know, maybe I'm not called to do audiovisual, but I should be a greeter. You know what I'm saying here. How many people in this room feel like they know at least maybe one or two spiritual gifts that they have that they've been called to use? Okay, a few of you. How did you come to that realization? Online survey. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's good. What, whatever it takes, right, brother? <laughs> Some of it's through like reading the word, but also okay. through like. Oh, let's write this down. Okay. 
Sorry. Yep. So let me write all this down. Spiritual so gifts. Ooh, there's a good one. Talking to others. <coughs> Trial and error. Oh my gosh. You know what? There is no shame in saying, I'm going to try and lead a Bible study. And maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe you tried it. And maybe you didn't feel like you were called to lead in that particular instance. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to try things once, right? <coughs> As Socrates says, you can, you can eat anything once. <laughs> The problem I have is I can't see very good, I can't hear very good, and I can't walk very good. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what can I do? I, I can't do nothing now. You know? And it's like. You encourage me on Facebook. Yeah, I think you're right. Boom. Yeah, I do. You won't be this is wrong. <laughs> Although you can probably start for the home guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's odd. Discount. <laughs> I love it. That's great. This is a good one. Don't discount your spiritual gifts. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a televangelist. Lorna, I second or third all the comments that were just made that you encourage me on Facebook. Let me just say this about Lorna. She shows up every Sunday. Oh my gosh. All that stuff that you just listed that you can't do, mm -hmm. you still show up every Sunday. Mm -hmm. You ask for help. Yep. I mean, you teach me how to ask people like yep. for help. I think that's why that uh, Paul's example of the body mm -hmm. is so apt. You know, we all don't have to be the heart, mm -hmm. you know, which gives you life and helps you. <coughs> some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are, you know. Some of us are some of us are appendix. Yes. <laughs> some of us are adenoids. <laughs> I don't even know what adenoids do. But they're in there. They're all important. They're all important. And and look, um, I'm gonna give a shout out to Brother Ken here yesterday. Ken stepped up and led a work day for the church. How glamorous is doing a work day for the church? <clears throat> how much well, how much you know when when someone when someone you know goes to seminary and, and is thinking about their future, how many of them say, "I can't wait to organize work days for a church"? How important are work days for a church? They're super important. They're super important. Shout out to Ken who led, and like many of us, may have felt that sometimes you get up in the morning, you're like, "Is this really? Do I really want to do this on my Saturday?" And I can tell you what there. There is no such thing as an unimportant task for the church, and they're all important. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here. <clears throat> he might have caught this at the very beginning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In the first century, in Judaism, what did a sacrifice entail? Something dying. Something is dying. <clears throat> is it a nice death? <laughs> they slit their throat. You drain their blood. Then what? <clears throat> you burn it up. 
This is the way it works in Judaism. Typically, there would be an altar. <clears throat> and I'm going to do a horrible job here, but it, it was a kind of a four-horned altar. I'll do a 3D perspective. <clears throat> and this altar, of course, this is just a very, very crude simplification here. <clears throat> um, this altar <clears throat> have kind of a it's kind of a blocky structure with these four horns, and that's a whole different discussion of why that's that way, with kind of this, this area in the middle, this kind of filter um, for ashes and, and, and body parts, essentially. And they would put the, the dead creature, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they put this dead creature on here. They'd slit it, well, they'd slit its throat, they'd stick it on here, and they'd burn it up. And God in the Old Testament says, the smell of a burning sacrifice is pleasing, a pleasing odor to him. So this is a violent, um, kind of troubling act, but it's meant to do what? What kind of, of animal, or, or sometimes it would be plants, would be, would be sacrificed here? <clears throat> the best. The best. Take your best lamb your best cow, your best ox, your best sheep, <clears throat> best whatever you're going to sacrifice. Um, sometimes you, you would get whatever you could get. Um, it would be uh, doves. Uh, it, you'd go buy it in the marketplace. But you would put it on that altar, and you would kill it, and you would sacrifice it. So what do you think it means now when Paul says, I want you to be a living sacrifice? What do you think that means? <clears throat> Mm. Okay. 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 Don't be proud. Okay. <clears throat> yep. That's awesome, brother. I didn't even see you here. I we heard you were in the back. We go stick him in the back room there, right in the whole room. All Gold star for you. Everybody leaves lost. I check this every once in a while. But he's just back there singing, <clears throat> just having a good old time. Yeah, Mom, I love this new church. Yeah, they stuck me in the back painting all Saturday. I hate the nursery. And it was yellow. That's great. You sacrifice your time, your energy. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think part of being, huh? you know, <clears throat> offering yourself as a living sacrifice is the act of daily kind of laying aside mm. your own desires. This is good. God's work good. Daily desires. What would constitute daily desires you might put aside? It's a it's a little bit different. <clears throat> what uh, what what do you do on a daily basis? I heard sleeping in. That's a good one. What else? It could be anything that pleases yep. you and your focus. That's on it. You and not God. And it's sleeping in. Maybe it's playing golf. Maybe it's not being lazy. And and pleasing you, he can please you to serve God, of course. But but I think what Steve you're getting at is things that don't necessarily further the kingdom. Maybe it's. Well, 
playing golf, whatever. There's the other side of it. Like, I, mean, I, <clears throat> I always shy away from the giving up all the pleasures because yep. God wants that for us too. But it's the, you know, honking and flipping off the guy that just got you off the trap. And, yeah. You know, the, you know, your boss is being a jerk. Lash out. Somebody, somebody in a meeting at work jumps down your throat. Yep. Have the grace to be understanding. Mm -hmm. This is a good one. And, and so I'm going to contrast this. Of course, we can immediately think of 10 things that maybe if we're not doing them, that's a sacrifice. What are some things we could be doing that are a sacrifice? <clears throat> work okay, work day. Yeah. What else? One of the things that I push in this class, I'm a big proponent of, it may surprise all of you, is biblical scholarship. I would encourage you, if you're not doing it today, every single day you're in the Word, somehow. I would love it if you're cracking your Bible open at 5 in the morning every day for an hour. That would be awesome. That's, that's like the top. If you're literally just <laughs> ripping a calendar page off from a Bible calendar and it gives you a, a Bible quote, I'll live with that a little bit, a <laughs> little bit. That, that'll get you by on, on, on Saturday morning, maybe. <clears throat> but I really can't overemphasize enough this fact that God wants you to be in the Word. I'm going to tell you, folks, you are so blessed to live in the 21st century. You really are, and you all are literate. You all have had an education, some kind of education. You can probably read this thing. If you think back to all of human history, you are in the 1%. You're not only in the 1% that you can read and you have an education, you're in the 1% that you have the Holy Scriptures at hand. You can literally get them. You know, Think about for all the eons of human history where either the Scriptures were not written down and they were passed orally through verbal transmission, um, or if the Scriptures were written down and you didn't have them in your house, you, there might be a priest with a scroll in a temple somewhere um, or a synagogue, but you didn't have that. You can literally just pick it up we're blessed with abundance. Look how many, there's stacks of Bibles over there, folks. Stacks, just overflowing. Um, open your, you know, go to the, to the local Marriott and, and open the drawer and, you know, underneath the uh, <coughs> Mormon Bible is a Gideon Bible. You know, you can crack that, that sucker open. Okay, enough preaching. Let's go on to the next piece. Here we go. Love. Verse 9. Let's go verse 9. We're just, I think we're just going to go to the end, verse 9 to 21. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. 
Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Many of you might not know, there were no Gospels when Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. We're almost 100% sure that the Gospels as we know them today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have not been written yet. <clears throat> they won't be written for probably several more years. They won't even start to get circulated for a few years after that. It's really the end of the first century, almost 60 years after Christ did his ministry, that people really start to get their hands on the Gospels. What you just read here was the verbal transmission of Jesus and his ministry, and Paul has heard it. Could you, Steve, read Matthew 5, verses 39 and 44 for me, please? Uh, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let's, let's draw a timeline. I haven't drawn any maps in this class, and I, I'm going through map withdrawal. I'm sure you are too. <laughs> but uh, let's do a timeline. I do that too. Timeline. Starting with the year 1 AD, there is no zero. We go to 33. 33, let's just say, for argument's sake, that's the year that Jesus was crucified. Now we're going to go to 57. 57 is our best guess, give or take, for when Paul is writing to the church in Rome. It has been 25 years, 24 years at least. quarter of a century has passed since Jesus was on earth giving his ministry. There has been no written record yet of Jesus, at least not that we know of, that has been transmitted and, and has been circulating. How did Paul know this? There's two ways he could have known this. He saw it or he heard about it. It's exactly right. We know he saw it because he and Luke in Acts testify to the fact that Paul had a vision of, of Jesus. He has met Jesus. He has met God. It's called a theophany. And we know that Jesus trained him while he was in Arabia um, during the very, right at the beginning of his ministry. So we know that he has had a personal encounter with Jesus. He has also heard about Jesus. How did he hear about Jesus? That's how he knew about the Messiah, but how do you know about Jesus Christ and his ministry? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah, he was persecuting him. So then, how did he hear about it? Well, then when he was on the road to Damascus, mm -hmm. with the guy he stayed with, uh -huh. didn't he like teach him? Exactly. This and this. You're all right. This is this is exactly what I'm getting at. Someone told him. <laughs> Someone had to tell Paul about the stories. Um, so we think. The sayings of Jesus are the first things to circulate. 
as far as the written material of the New Testament, it wasn't a full-fledged gospel. It was things like um, the, God, the Sermon on the Mount. It was things like this passage from Matthew 5, um, love your enemy and pray for them. Those are the sayings of Jesus that start to circulate very, very rapidly throughout the empire. And, and I guess the application is what I'm trying to get at here today is, <laughs> the only way that people are going to know about Jesus today is if what? We tell them. We tell them. That's the only way this is going to work. And but I'm going to guarantee you, most people who are not Christians are not going to just go crack open a Bible and say, oh, I wonder what's written in Romans 12 here. They're probably going to hear it from you first. As the Holy Spirit acts to you. So I think you know, the point here is that the, act, the activity here is for us to share the gospel with others, to, to, to be that, that mouthpiece for God and to share the gospel. <clears throat> um, so the point here is, of course, that we're hearing for the very first time the stories that will eventually be written down in the gospels, probably Mark first, and then um, Matthew and Luke, and then finally John years later. Okay, <clears throat> what did you take home from this whole thing about love? what that that song is the story of how Christianity spread in the first century who of the majority of the population of the first century you had two classes of people what were they the rich and the poor there was no middle class who was the vast majority of people in the Roman Empire were they rich or poor who were the people the vast majority of people who were attracted to the message of Christianity who were they Rich or poor? They were the poor. They were the poor. And, and here's the story here. Christianity spreads like wildfire. Right now, when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, guess what? There's already a church in Rome. Someone has already gone and preached the gospel, maybe Peter, and founded the church. And there's already a church of people. The message of loving your neighbor and taking care of the sick, that was very powerful. This is how Christianity spread like wildfire in the first century. You would have very poor people, and it was a very urban religion. Um, you have cities like Rome, which may have had a million people in it. Now, I know that might sound like not a lot to you for people today when we have places like Sao Paulo with, with 13 million and Moscow with 10 million and New York City with 8 million. A million people in antiquity in the first century is a ton of people. Guess what? They all lived in squalor. There was very few people that lived in a nice home with one family and maybe some servants. Most people were, were desperately poor. They lived in squalor. There was a lot of what kind of things happen when people are living in squalor? Ton of crime. Ton of disease. Ton of starvation. A lot of negativity thoughts. Anger. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of unhappy, angry people. How many people are so happy that they're they've got anthrax and they're and they're dying of starvation? You know, yay! Yeah. And maybe I work for that guy, or maybe he fired me. Now I don't. I, I'm, you know, I'm gonna die or whatever. Reminds me of Zimbabwe. Yeah. And I know we've shared before too. 
Mm -hmm. We can only have an ounce of that here. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> kinda. You know, it's, I talk a lot about you know, what are you being saved from. Yeah. You know, what's, what Christianity is a message of hope of some saved from mm -hmm. something. We're spoiled and mm -hmm. entitled, and you know, I, mean, I grew up with a single mom, but I still had everything I needed. Yeah. You know, we had a garden and chickens, and you know, we made do. Mm -hmm. We had everything we needed, so I wasn't really being saved. I didn't have anything I needed to be saved from. But you get yep. that poor, you know, like Zimbabwe and ancient Rome. Yep. There's a big message of hope. That's it. That is exactly it. You are desperate. And you're seeing your neighbor who is saying that he has been transformed by the power of Christ. And, and he is saying that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, that there's a new kingdom that has come, in which there is no sickness, and there is no death, and there is no anger, and there's no tears. How attractive is that message to you? Super attractive, right? So think about Rome, think about Zimbabwe, think about, you know, there's, there's parts of Des Moines that are they're desperately poor, the people living under bridges. How can you as a Christian demonstrate Christ's love? Sacrifice, you know, putting others first. Being humble. Why is being humble important? Ken, we live in an era where I'm told that I just need to be confident and get what's mine. Turn Aaron on to the Stuart Smalley, Michael Jordan. Yes, I know it's good this morning. That's so good. That's our generation. We like that. That's great. What, what, what's, the, what's the problem with the message that you're in control of your life, and if you want something, you need to take it. No one is going to give it to you. And humanity is the pinnacle of evolution, and we were meant to dominate the universe. What is wrong with this whole message? Oh, okay. You're less than what? Okay. You don't have any value. <coughs> right. Right. Ah, uh-huh. If you're at the top, mm -hmm. What's the what's the seduction in, in feeling like I'm in control? Power. Power. Why is power so seductive? You can be your own God. Who do I have to rely on? If I'm in control, who do I have to rely on? No one else, just me. Why? And, and I'm going to, I say this, <coughs> that the root of all sin, you know, if you ask uh, 10 Christians, what is the root of all sin? You probably get 10 different answers. My answer, it's probably the 11th one, is selfishness. <coughs> at some level, look at all of the problems the world has. Name the top five. War, we just named it in Rome. War, famine, disease, um, inequality, um, you know. All of that boils down to people trying to get for themselves what they want and not caring about their neighbor. Now, all of a sudden, this guy comes along in Naz from Nazareth, and he's, he's giving us a message that says, no, 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 no. 
you're not in control. <laughs> there is someone bigger than you. <clears throat> there is someone bigger than everyone on this planet. You need to think about who? Who do you need to be focused on here? Yourself? Others. Others. Who are the others? <clears throat> Who's your neighbor? Anybody. Anybody. Who does Jesus has a great parable here about who your neighbor is? Who is that person? The Good Samaritan, the good Samaritan who <clears throat> helps the, 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 the man who has been beaten and is left for dead on the side of the road. The person who is in need is your neighbor. Yes. Oh, this is good. Extends to enemies. This is kind of the root of the second half of Romans 12. <clears throat> How many people in this room have enemies? <laughs> enemies. <clears throat> How many people have enemies that they may be your enemy, you never wanted to be their enemy? I hope everyone is raising their hands. You can, you can be the nicest, most accommodating, loving person in the entire world. Jesus was that. And they killed that guy. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how much you try and please people, no matter how much you try and say the right thing or do the right thing, there are always going to be people on this earth that hate you. Boom. Exactly. I invited one of the residents to church, and she said, don't go preaching me, and I didn't know that somebody at the church was preaching, yep. but okay. She snubbed me. She's now snubbed me ever yep. since, but that's okay. I still speak to her once in a while. Once in a while, she make a groan or... Why do people hate you? Because the name of Jesus has power. And anytime they hear it, why would they get upset? Why would me as a non-Christian, when I hear the name of Jesus, why would that make me upset? Because something in my heart says it's true. Yes. That's it. It's convicting. It's convicting. I always thought it tormented the demons inside of people. Yeah, probably that too. How hard is it to hear a message where deep down you know you're right? <clears throat> Think about your adolescence, when your parents are telling you certain things, that looking back, you're like, well, of course they told me to do that. Be home by nine. Don't hang out with boys if you're a girl. Don't hang out with boys, you know, at their house when no parents are around. If you're a boy, don't hang out with girls at their house when no parents are around, et cetera, et cetera. And looking, you know, at the time, you're like, ugh. You don't trust me. Why did we say that? Now, if you're a parent now <laughs> of adolescence, <clears throat> you know darn well why they said that. When, when, you, when you are struck with conviction, that ang it's your human nature. You're going to get angry. Now, <clears throat> here's the, the thing. Who do you get angry at? Who, whoever is in front of you. Now, what if it's a message that came from someone else who you're going to get mad at? The messenger. I think it's a, it's a reflection hmm? Yeah. There's a message with you. Yep. It's a reflection put up in front of you, and you get to see how you measure up to it. That's a junior. It's a mirror. 
That's a, it's a mirror. You're absolutely right. No one likes to look in the mirror and see something they don't like. So the first word they're going to get mad at is not themselves, right? Any therapist will tell you, deal with your own problems, right? But the first person we get mad at is the person who told us about this. Now, this is very common. Now, as Christians, it, the New Testament is very clear. Get ready, folks. If you're a Christian and you share the gospel, guess who is going to have the biggest target of all on this planet on their backs? All of you. Bless your hearts. <laughs> right? Yay! Thanks for telling me that, Brian. I really appreciate you. It's true. I think that's Yeah. Oh, this is it. When you're in a when you're in a bad way and you're by yourself, do you think do you tend to like get more positive? <laughs> Jeremy? That's why you're here, brother. I need this class. I don't know about you guys. I desperately need this class. And it's a lot of work to prepare for this. But I don't care. I love doing it. But when, when you guys show up in the room, you don't know every single one of you. When you show up, I get this thing, and I feel so much better. I feel like, thank you. I'm glad they're here. I'm going to get it. Okay. It's true. You need each other. We need each other. Every Sunday morning, every Friday night, um, during the week, texts, Facebook messages, phone calls. We still do that? I don't know. People still call each other. I don't know. I, I needed the work day yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's why we were painting. But but yeah. I needed to come here and be with some guys, you know. And, yeah. And have a little bit of razzing each other, a yeah. little bit of encouragement, a little conversation yeah. that you and I had. Mm-hmm. And that was it was like and then just that conversation was like, here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, there's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay, now I can do something like that. You know? We just need each other. Yeah. And that's and that John 17, Jesus is praying, and he says, mm-hmm. Father, unite them as you and I are united so that people will know something. Yep. I mean, that's, not, that's not some light little prayer that he was praying. Yeah. We don't, we don't come together. And I think this church does a great job of mm-hmm. it. How many of you have had a small group scheduled? or a work day, or some activity, maybe even, uh, you know, cookout, get together, and before you've gone, you've thought, oh, it's been a long day at work, 
I just want to relax tonight. Um, the Masked Singer is on. <laughs> I just want to sit at home and make popcorn and sit in my, in my sweatpants and watch TV. But then you've gone. You go, okay, I'll go. We go. Maybe your spouse drug you. You go. And afterwards you said, I am so glad I went. I am so glad I went. That's me like 99% of the time. I'm not going to lie. It's not 100, but it's 99%. It's so important. So now let's talk about the enemy thing, because this is really important. I think this is what I'm going to tell you right now. <clears throat> Pretty much Christianity is alone amongst all world religions in our approach to our enemies. Name any other very popular world religion, and you will find <clears throat> a, a, a doctrine of your enemy is your enemy, and you need to either destroy them or not associate with them. Or, yeah, vengeance, sure, seek vengeance. <laughs> hurt them before they hurt you, destroy them before they destroy you. Christianity is almost singularly alone in its approach, and, and this is Jesus saying, love your enemy. Love your enemy, yeah. I think even today, in my generation, we see a lot of kind of vague moralism ah, mm -hmm. that's based in Christian principles. Mm. But even then, the <laughs> says, ignore your enemy. Ah, or okay. Your enemy. Ah. Says, love your so what does love mean, Nathan? As opposed to ignore. It means to give yourself up for them. Ah. Okay. To just to shatter that paradigm of this is how we treat our enemy. Yeah. To do stuff that doesn't make sense at all. Yes. Yes. Like the story that's gone viral. Um, and I don't know a lot about that story, but. You know, the brother of someone who was murdered hugged the yes. mm -hmm. police officer who killed the, yeah, yeah. the neighbor. Or in um, Dylan Roof, the man who walked in and shot up a Bible study in South Carolina a few years ago. Mm -hmm. At his conviction, the families, I think six out of the seven families that had had a member killed there, stood up and said, We forgive you. We're glad that justice has come. But we forgive you, and we pray that God, you would let God take a hold of this, your heart. Who benefited from those families forgiving that murderer? Those families. <clears throat> who is the one who suffers the most when you hate your your enemy? It's not your enemy. <laughs> it's not your enemy. I've heard it said that it's like taking rat poison and expecting them to die. Wow. <laughs> Dude, I am totally making that the title of this this video. That's exactly it. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you uh, right. <laughs> it's totally true. You're off the hook if you love them, but there's two people who benefit. You benefit by letting them off the hook. How do they benefit? God's word never comes back void. Can stick them. You, you don't have to preach, but you can say something, even whether it's your birthday party or uh, reunion or whatever. And they don't come back void. The Bible says that somewhere in the Bible. You know, maybe in another way of saying it, I don't know if this is the way you're saying it, that it would bear fruit. Maybe that's another way of saying it. What's the fruit that is born by you loving your enemy? 
think it shows in substance and heart. Because they're, you know, being in that position, you probably have a wall up uh -huh. of, uh, to protect yourself against people saying things or revenge, or and then they you see that and that weakens up your defenses. Yeah. And you wonder well, why. Yeah. Why? Why? Everyone think of their most bitter enemy. You popped right in there, I know. Think of that most bitter enemy that you've had in your life. That, I, that is an enemy today. <clears throat> what if that person suddenly showed up at your front doorstep this afternoon and said, Steve Cruz, I'll pick on you. I am very sorry for what I did. And I love you, brother. And I will make this right. And hugged you. Amongst all of the emotions you might have at that moment, what would some of them be? Because I want you to think of it from their perspective now. First, I think it'd be hard to accept. Yes, it's hard to accept. What else? Really mean it. Yes. So you might distrust it. Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm not done being mad at you. What else? I think it can make make you feel a little ashamed of here we go. Feeling here we go. Kind of bring a reconciliation around. So by forgiving your enemies, yep. I mean not only are you showing people that are seeing the situation from the outside. Yep. So the, the young man who forgave huh? the officer that shot his and killed his brother, yep. for instance. Um, look mm -hmm. how that's been seen. Yep across the world mm -hmm. and to a non-Christian looking at that they, it was just the most illogical response to a terrible accident or terrible <coughs> I've never seen such confusion yeah. in, in <coughs> interpretations Jesus, that doesn't happen nope it doesn't it just doesn't folks there is no such thing as humanism with forgiveness for your enemies there isn't now, some humanists may say they do that. They don't. And I'm going to get at the thing that you just said, Steve, which is when your enemy forgives you, you might have a tendency to feel ashamed. You might have a tendency to feel like you blew it all out of proportion. Do you know what the word for heaping coals, burning heaping coals is in Greek? Anthrax. <laughs> Anthrax. You, you heap burning coals on your enemy's head when you forgive them. Why? Because they have to suddenly deal with why they hate you. Out of 100 people that you forgive who are your enemy, how many of them are likely to forgive you back? This is important too. Let's go with half. <laughs> I love half. I would love to have half. <laughs> You know, it's somewhere between zero and a hundred. I don't think it's zero. It's not a hundred. Does it matter because God yes. tells us to forgive? Yes. And He doesn't say so that they'll forgive you back. It's just we are called to forgive, and whether whatever, regardless of the outcome, we have to do it. Forgiveness is not contingent on the other person. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness is not contingent on the other person. 
this is where we get it wrong too. Well, I said I was sorry. So why aren't you, why aren't we good now, right? Your enemy may still hate your guts. Your enemy may hate you more because you love and forgive them. Does that mean that you shouldn't continue to forgive them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is so hard. Jesus was dying on the cross, folks. Dying on the cross. And what did he say about his Roman executioners? How can anyone on this earth understand that? How? How can we understand that? Now, I'm not going to talk about justice here, because this is not a political science class, and I don't care about, about that. What I care about is our role as Christians, is when your enemy hates you, you forgive them, you love them. Now, how do you show that you love them? I gave you one example, which is probably a little cheesy, but it, it could work. You show up at your enemy's doorstep, and you tell them that you love them, and you forgive them. How are other ways that you show that you love your enemy? Pray for them. And I said, tell them. What else? Actions. Say it again. Never pay back evil for evil. Yeah. Well, like at the end of the passage, it says, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. So it's like, um, serve them in the way that they need to. Help with their needs. Because you have to go out of your way to figure out what they need. Ah, this is great. How do you know what they need? Ask them. <laughs> what can I do for you? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Come right back to that, this battle that goes on. 
So this is this is continuous. Yep. Yep. Yeah, forgiveness is really tough, and I think yep. sometimes that you can get into the, uh, the misunderstanding that you have to. Yeah, you know, it's a mental thing before the action. Sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes you might have to do these actions to get you to come around and truly forgive someone. Mm hmm. Helps you too. Yep. But it may not be, and, and I understand what you're saying, Angela, and I, and I would say this, sometimes slights, oftentimes slights, are perceived. They think that you did something to them. Look, all you have to do is share the gospel, and people that alone is a reason for people to hate you. Now, I, I agree with you that there may not be something you deliberately did to hurt them, and maybe you don't apologize, maybe you just say, I love you. I think, we, uh, you know, this list we have here I think is really good. Maybe some of it works. Maybe you try some of it. You know. But like you mm -hmm. know, in Ken's story, okay, yeah. he's supposed to apologize to mm -hmm. his dad. Mm -hmm. And, and, and mm -hmm. it's, it's a great conversation. Example, yep. You know, just uh, it. You know that you still need to you need to forgive, but it's not like you did anything to receive the right. Yep. Totally get it. And if I go to him and say I forgive you for being a bad dad. You might be get the heck out, right? Who are you to say that? Yep, that's exactly it. Reaching out and talking to him, or doing whatever actions, or serving somehow, sending a card—like those are things that help you get over that. Same scripture also says, "Don't throw your pearl before swine." And so there's that. There's a a point, a point where I have to say, right? I can't just. I can't fix him. Yeah. Make, or, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. using that as an example, but whatever the situation yeah. might be, whoever the person might be, and, yeah. mm -hmm. and that's where you just have to protect him. Well, it sounds like forgiveness is a little more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> when I learned. <coughs> when I learned that we're lever enemies, mm -hmm. the Bible said we're lever enemies. There was some of the Ariel's cousin on her dad's side of the house. Mm -hmm. I'd see her on the holidays and sometimes other times. And uh, you could absolutely, she didn't like me at all. I'm sure she thought I was an old fogey, well, mm -hmm. I was, but then I'm an older old fogey now. But anyway, so it's like I said to myself, I can't, I can't love her. I can't love her. I can't mm -hmm. love her. Mm -hmm. And uh, in no time, I believe God let me know, yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. Because in no time, I don't know what it was, but anyway, all of a sudden, I was wondering how she was doing. And we had a holiday, and, and she wasn't there. And I was, where is she? You know, I want to see her. I wanted to hug her, I love her, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I could love her. And uh, she got in trouble with the law and was gone for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, then she came back, her attitude was, she wasn't so cocky. As she went mm. before. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's good I could see her 
and really love her, really hug her, you know, awesome. it's, mm -hmm. it's reciprocated, you know, mm -hmm. she feels the same toward me, where she didn't, of course she's grown up too, but, you know, and it's yeah. like, wait a minute, I'm the, the adult, she's, you know, I shouldn't feel the way I had mm -hmm. felt toward her, mm. you know, mm -hmm. it's like, but <coughs> I think God said, yeah, you can, because mm -hmm. I just, I, he melted my heart, I'm sure that's what, I, you know, I don't know mm -hmm. Take a nap. Eat a Snickers bar. <laughs> Relax. Danielle, you were going to say something? I was going to say the other side of that, basically, mm -hmm. is like, you can forgive, but it doesn't mean it's going to fix the relationship. That's it. Yep. It's not going to go back to normal the way it mm -hmm. was. Like, I, had a, I had a really good friend who just all of a sudden didn't like me. I really, mm -hmm. really still don't know what I did. Yep. <laughs> but then I was like, we're enemies, and I don't know. I'm like, Okay, so now we're fine, but it's, it'll never be the same yep. as it was, and I never will really know why. Mm -hmm. But when there had to be like some forgiveness, but mm -hmm. it doesn't fix the relationship. I mean, hopefully, yep. we can get that way. It's really tough because human forgiveness involves humans. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not really. It says that it'll go back or it'll fix the issue. Right. It'll just yep. for you. It's for you and for you to share the gospel. It's for you to demonstrate love. But you're absolutely right, Junior. It doesn't necessarily, it's not a Band-Aid. It's not a magic wand either. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Um, the last thing I want to leave you with today is this. It's really easy to think about your enemy as being Hitler, right? Um, your boss, I don't know. Uh, the person in your life that you are most bitter about. But I'm going to ask you the same question like I ask about who is your neighbor? Who is your enemy? Who can be your enemy? The biggest one is myself. Ooh, okay. Oh, that's good. What was the question? I asked who can be your enemy, and Junior said it can be yourself. Mostly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You can be your biggest enemy. I would say yeah. your sin nature. Yeah. Okay, I love this, and I'm going to say this right now, that while Adolf Hitler was on this earth, as abhorrent as that man was, did God love him? Sure. He loved him every day of his life. He loved him more than anyone has ever loved you in your life. Who was the real enemy there? It was Satan. It was, it was, that's the enemy. And, it's, and, it, and if you can do that and think in your mind, this person who is really annoying me and being awful to me, think they are a loved child of God. Let me remember that it's Satan is the enemy here who's testing me. And this person is loved by God, and God loves that person and wants them to be saved too. Okay, this was a great discussion. I, I do want to say this, that when we, when we began this, this lesson about your spiritual gifts, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says a much more expanded view of this. We didn't read it in class, but you can go home and read 1 Corinthians 12. It's a huge list that really reinforces this idea that um, no matter what you do or don't do in the church, whatever your spiritual gift is, it's really important. Um, so I would encourage you to go home and read that. Okay, thank you for joining us. This was an awesome discussion, and we'll see you next week.